Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Last week we talked about, we introduced the concept of this series that we're calling Dare to Hope. Dare to Hope. And last week we talked about being purveyors of hope. And let me just do a quick little bit of review along those lines. We said that a purveyor is a person who sells or deals in particular goods as representations of Jesus in this world, we are called to be purveyors or dealers of hope. Amen? You and I are called to go through this life dealing hope. Amen? In fact, we're going to get some t-shirts made that say hope dealer. Amen? It wasn't my idea. It was Josh's idea, but it was a good one. Hallelujah. How many of you want to be a hope dealer? Come on. Isn't that awesome? Because that's part of our calling in life. That's part of our job in this world is to take up the cause of Christ and to take up the call of Christ to be distributors of hope. Because the world needs hope. How many of you figured that out? The world needs hope. Lots of hope. There's people out there filled with despair filled with anxiety, filled with cares and tears. We need hope. A large part of our calling from God is our assignment as ambassadors of God's kingdom. Do you remember us talking about being an ambassador for Christ last week? And then we ask the question, what is hope? Hope is an earnest expectation. The easiest way for us to define hope is that it is an earnest, heartfelt expectation that God will do what God said he would do. It's not a wish. It's not a, you know, if I can use a football analogy, I got a couple football analogies for us today in today's discussion, but if I can use a football analogy, you know at the end of the game they throw up a Hail Mary when there's five seconds left on the clock and somebody's got to score a touchdown? That's what people think of hope. They think it's a Hail Mary pass. So I'm just going to toss this up and see what happens. That's not what hope means in the Bible. It's, it's, it's finding God's word and taking him at his word and then expecting that what he said he would do, he will actually do because he's a faithful God. So hope is an earnest expectation. We said that hope always looks to the future. It's a future-facing, forward-facing reality. Hope is for tomorrow. Now, I don't need hope for today. I certainly don't need it for yesterday. Yeah. Amen. It's an expectation of the future good that God has in, in store for me. We looked at Jeremiah 29, 11. You remember that? I know the thoughts I have towards you, declares the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you, not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. Hope and future go together. In fact, we said that if you're going to have a chance at a future, you're going to have to get some hope along the way. Amen. We said that the Hebrew words for hope, Hebrew, the Hebrew language rather, defines hope as a cord or as a rope. You remember that? We said that hope is your lifeline. It's your rope that connects you to God. And as long as you're holding on to hope, you're holding on to God. Now we dare to hope 
Because God is merciful, he's faithful, and he's our inheritance. Amen? That's why we can trust him. Because his word says he's faithful, he's merciful, and he's our inheritance. Amen? So that was just a quick review of last week. Today, our topic in this Dare to Hope series, our topic for today is defeating despair. Defeating despair. And I want to propose something to you that um, oftentimes we use the word hopeless when we're talking about a bad situation. Oh, this is a situation that's hopeless. I kind of I want to flip that on its head a little bit this morning for just a second and propose to you that, that no situation is hopeless in, in, in the idea that, that you're never completely without hope and you're never empty of hope. You may just be filled with despair. You know how certain situations come along and you feel empty? Anybody ever felt empty? They get to a place where you just feel like, man, I got nothing to give. And you feel empty. I want to, I want to, you know, put this out for you today to think about for your consideration. Maybe you're not actually empty. Maybe you're just full of something you don't want to be full of. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that when you feel like you have no hope, it's not because your tank is empty. It might just be that your tank's full of despair instead of hope. Yeah. If you feel numb, I mean, if you've ever felt numb by a situation. I want to suppose or propose to you rather that maybe you're not, you're not empty, you're just full of apathy. You're just full of despair. You're full of fear, full of concern. See, I believe God designed us to be full. That we go through life completely full all the time. The question is, what are we full of? Are we going to be full of hope or full of despair? Because Jesus says some funny words. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So as long as you're talking, as long as you're speaking, your heart is full of something. Because you were not designed to run on empty. Amen. You weren't designed to run on empty. You just might have some other stuff in your tank. Amen. And I don't say that to cause you to be fearful or concerned. I say that because there's hope that we can change what we're full of. We can change what we're filled with. If I, don't like the, if I don't like what's coming out of my mouth, if I don't like what's coming out of my life, guess what I get to do? I can change it. Amen? All I got to do is get close to God and let him start doing work on me, and he will purge out with the old and in with the new. Amen? So let's talk today about defeating despair. I want us to look at two different verses. Actually, before we look at our main verse, or, or, or our verse for today, I want to read our main verse for this whole series, which is Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 through 24. You remember this from last week? I'm just going to read it in the New Living Translation, and uh, you don't have to turn there. Just listen to this for a second. Lamentations 3.19 says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness was bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, that the faithful love of the Lord never ends, that his mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. Man, if hope is a rope, 
Like we said, if hope means a cord, and I say that my hope is in him, that means that he's on the other end of that cord pulling me to safety. That no matter what I face, even when I feel like I can't get to God, it's enough for me to hold on to hope and allow him to pull me to safety. My hope is in him. Now, we want to talk today about defeating despair, and I want to take about 30 minutes to go through this with you this morning. The first verse that we're going to look at comes from Proverbs chapter 13. The second verse comes from Romans chapter 4. We'll get to Romans 4 in just a moment. But let's talk about defeating despair. Let's talk about getting rid of despair if our hearts are filled with despair. Let's talk about emptying our hearts of despair and filling them with hope. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Proverbs 13, 12. I'll give you a second to turn there. And this is a scripture that you're probably somewhat familiar with. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. Some of the translations may read, but when the desire is fulfilled, it becomes a tree of life. That's very important. So I want us to pay attention to three words in this verse this morning, and those three words are as follows, deferred, heart, and sick. I did some Hebrew word study this week to kind of unearth some truth for us. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Let's talk about this word deferred for just a second this morning. It means in the Hebrew to draw out, to prolong, to postpone. To draw out, to prolong, or to postpone. So when I see this word deferred, I'm looking at something that is drawn out or taken out or prolonged or postponed. How many of you have ever postponed something that you shouldn't have postponed? Anybody besides me just been lazy? <laughs> I mean, I, whew, procrastination, baby. Let me tell you what. This is, a, this is, a, this is awful. Did you know that it's possible for you to pro- procrastinate hoping in God? Yeah. Did you know that actually what the enemy would love for you to do is to put off your hope until tomorrow? Yeah. Today's not a good day to trust God. Let's, let's do it tomorrow. Yeah. Nah, you know, you don't seem to be up to snuff today. You didn't spend enough time in your Bible this morning. Let's just, it's just tomorrow you can start hoping in God. Today I want you to wallow in misery, but tomorrow you can hope in God. That's what the word deferred means here. It means to take something out of the equation for now. One thing the devil would love for you to do is to, is to put your trust in God tomorrow. He really doesn't care about tomorrow. He just, he just wants your attention today. The enemy, man, he's so sneaky. He'll, listen, the devil will promise you all kinds of things about tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow's going to be great. Tomorrow you can start that prayer life. Tomorrow you can get in the Word. Tomorrow it'll be great when you get up early and you start spending time with Jesus. Oh, that's going to be awesome. The devil doesn't mind you thinking that at all. In fact, he'll help you. He'll help you to think that way. Yeah, start loving Jesus tomorrow. Great idea. 
Start hoping in God tomorrow. Sounds good. The devil doesn't care about tomorrow. He cares about today. And if he can, he will convince you and I to defer our hope, to defer our expectation, to postpone and procrastinate our willingness to hope in God until some other time. You see, most of us read this scripture wrong. I think it's up on the screen here, yeah. Most of us read this wrong. Or I I did for a long, long time. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I always read it this way. Desire deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. In other words, the thing that I want, if it's kept away from me for a long time, I get sad. That's not what the scripture is saying. It's not saying that the thing that you desire for is being deferred. It's saying that your willingness to expect God to move in your life is the thing that's being deferred. You're not putting off the the fulfillment of the desire. You're putting off the ability to even be willing to trust God for the fulfillment of that desire. And that's why where most of us get trapped and we get stuck, it's not, that we're, it's not that we don't believe God can do things for us, it's just that we're not willing to trust him and to expect him to do it for us yet. I'll trust him tomorrow. I, th- I think I can expect God to do this for me tomorrow. This verse is not telling us that our heart gets sick when our desire is deferred, but rather when our hope is deferred. When hope is taken out of the equation, when the rope of hope that we talked about is not there for me to grasp because I put it off for some other time in the future, then my opportunity to expect God to work in my life disappears. You remember what I closed last week's message with? I said that that, that hope will only cease to be a reality in your life when you stop looking for it. That as long as you can look for hope, as long as your antennas are up and your radar is scanning for hope in your life, as long as you're doing that, you'll always find it. But hope seems to disappear the minute you stop looking for it. Isn't that interesting? That tells us some stuff about hope. That tells us that hope's an internal job. It's an internal thing. Deferred hope sounds like this. You ready? Oh, honey, don't get your hopes up. Deferred hope sounds like this. I don't think it's going to happen. Deferred hope sounds like, I wish it would, but it probably won't. That's deferred hope. See, sometimes we, we hear that, we faith people, we hear that and we go, that's doubt and unbelief. It may be doubt and it may be unbelief, but before it even ever gets to be doubt or unbelief, it's deferred hope. Here's the takeaway from this verse. You ready for this? Nobody can take away your right or your ability to hope. Nobody can defer hope for you. That's awesome. That's super good. You should be running around the building with excitement right now because of how good that is. Nobody can take away your ability or your right to hope. Think about it. The only thing that somebody can do is present you with reasons or objections to hope. The enemy can line up one reason after another, after another, after another of why he thinks you shouldn't hope, but he actually is powerless to stop you from actually hoping because hope is internal. Hope is something that can be deferred, and the only person who can defer it is you. Yeah. 
I can't defer hope in your life. Only you can. This is why, you want to know something? This is why they'll never kill Christianity. This is why the gospel will never be stopped. Because no matter what people do to us, we just keep hoping in God. You can hit me in the head with a baseball bat as many times as you want. I'm not going to stop hoping. I'm not going to stop expecting God to still be good. I'm not going to defer from what he said in his word. And his, his word is true. And my expectation is in his word. And nobody can stop you from being that way. I'm telling you, they can, they can say what they want. They can do what they want. Anybody and everybody can give you a billion reasons why they think you shouldn't hope. But the only one who has control of that switch in your heart of hope is you. The only person that can defer hope is you. Because hope is eternal. Because be, hope is between you and God. Amen. Nobody's holding on to the rope of hope for you. That's between you and God. Amen. Now let's look at this word heart. This is going to make, I'm going somewhere here with this. The word heart here in the Hebrew is a word which, very simple, means the inner man. The inner man. It's the place that we believe from. Our heart is the place where our faith gets stored. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that every single person was given a measure of faith when they believed in God. You were born with the, with the capacity to believe. And it says in Romans chapter 10 that with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. So our heart is very clearly the place that our faith comes from. It's the place that we store faith. It's where our ability to trust and believe in God actually comes from. It happens in our heart. And this scripture says that when we defer hope, it makes our heart sick. Now the word sick is really important too in the Hebrew here because it means to become, to be, or to become weak, to be, or to become diseased. So based on our new understanding of these three Hebrew words, we can read the scripture in this light. When my hope, my expectation in God gets pushed off and postponed, then my heart's ability to believe becomes weak. But when my desires are fulfilled by God, I surge with life like a well-watered tree. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Something powerful happens when you start reading the Bible in the languages that it was written in. When my expectation in God is deferred or postponed, when I procrastinate in my willingness to trust him and to expect from him, what happens? My faith gets weak. My heart gets weak. My ability to believe God gets weak. In other words, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. In other words, my faith will never work if I defer my hope and I refuse to expect anything from God. Yeah. You want to know how you get in you want to know how you get in despair? Defer hope. Just postpone it. Yeah. Just postpone your willingness to expect God to be who he said he was. 
People often wonder, watch this, guys. This is super helpful. If you've ever, if you've ever questioned whether or not your faith was working, or if you've ever had an internal turmoil about why am I believing God and I don't seem to see it come to pass, pay attention to this statement. People often wonder why their faith isn't working. It might just be because they stopped expecting God to do the thing that they're believing for. Maybe it's not your faith that's the problem. Maybe it's that you haven't started expecting God to do what he wanted to do in your life. How many of you believe God that with God nothing is impossible? How many of you expect that with God nothing is impossible? If you were to uh, walk on water, let's say, do you expect that you would fall in the pool? Or do you expect that with God nothing is impossible? You see, oftentimes it's the disconnect of our hope, not of our faith, that's the problem. We believe God for a miracle, and we're, and we're going, I believe you, Lord, I believe you, Lord, I believe you. And the problem isn't with your believer. The problem isn't with your faith. It's not with your heart. It's that you haven't started expecting God to do the thing that he said he was going to do that you're believing him for. Faith and hope are absolute. It's like peanut butter and jelly, man. It's they're together. They can't be separated. They all work together. They're designed by God that you need hope and you need faith working in tandem in your life. It might just be that we stopped expecting God to do the thing that we're believing him for. So the question now becomes, how do we have faith, or excuse me, how do we have hope in a hopeless situation? If I'm surrounded by a situation that's trying to get me to defer my hope, How do I have hope in the midst of that? Let's look at an example. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4. This is our second verse that we're going to today. Let's look at the example of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right hand, left hand, left. Amen. This just became kids' church. Welcome. Everybody gets a treat from the treasure box when this is over. You each get to have a treat, I promise. Let's look at the example of Father Abraham for a second. God made him a promise. How many of you remember the promise God made? He said, Abe, you're going to have a son. Not just are you going to have a son, you're going to have a multitude of children. You're going to be the father of nations, many nations. Do you ever wonder if Abraham is sitting in heaven right now with the biggest smile on his face, knowing that he's got people in his family in every nation on the planet? Because the Bible says that you and I, even though we're Gentiles, even though we're not Jewish, those of us who are not Jewish, we're still in the family of God. The Bible says we're the seed of Abraham. We're grafted into Abraham's family. So God totally kept his promise to Abraham, didn't he? God made him a promise that he would be father of many nations, but Abraham had a major problem. Neither he nor his wife could have kids. Isn't it amazing that when God makes you a promise, his promise always looks different than your reality? Let's just stop and think about that for a second. Don't worry, I got time. I just checked my timer. We're good. Let's stop and think of this for a second. When God makes you a promise, it's always contrary to where you're at right now. God said your marriage could be great, and you're like, my marriage sucks. God says you are the healed of the Lord, and you're like, I got pain in 17 places in my body right now. God says you're blessed. You're like, Jesus, the the bank account is in the red. Have you not looked? 
the promise of the Lord to you is always contrary to the situation that you find yourself in. That's just the way it works. Because God is a God who delights in the impossible. He loves to take broken things and fix them so where they're better than they were new. You know what I'm saying? You know, when, when God fixes your life, he doesn't just glue two pieces back together and you can still see the crack. Hello. The Bible says he makes all things new. Come on, y'all know that. He makes all things new. That's why I don't like, oh man, I got to get into this. This is off topic. That's why I don't like when people say, well, brother, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. It's impossible, because when grace comes in, it eliminates the cracks. It erases the scar of sin. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're saved by grace. You might sin from time to time, but you have changed fundamentally from who you used to be, and now you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're an heir to the throne of God. You got the same spirit that lives in you that raised Jesus from the dead. Everything about who you are from your toes to the top of your head is new in Christ. See, because God loves to do that. He loves to take broken situations and restore them so that you can't tell they were broken before. He actually eliminates the brokenness from the past. Some of you struggle with your past. I know that because I can tell in my heart. Because sometimes when I'm preaching, the Lord's giving me little pop-ups. You ever get a pop-up on your screen? <laughs> I'm getting little pop-ups in my heart. I know that people in here struggle with their past. I know that there's people watching online today. You struggle with your past. You struggle to say, God, this is what, oh man, Lord, I missed it so many times in so many ways, I can't even imagine how bad my past has been. Can I tell you something? God, when he restores you, when he turns your life around, the past doesn't exist anymore. Amen. And here's the cool thing. The only person who is capable of accessing your past is the one who forgave you of it. The Bible says he wiped out the handwriting of transgression which was against us, which is contrary to us. I fully believe that when you repent, Jesus actually goes into your past and removes whatever it was that kept you from him. Whatever the sin was, I fully believe that when I confess my sins, 1 John chapter 1, when I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me. That's to say, it's okay, I forgive you. And to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I believe that the Holy Spirit goes back in time and wipes out that sin so that it never happened. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Because what we do, we spend our lives totally just overcome by the weight of the sin from yesterday. Oh my God, Lord, I'm so sorry that I sinned. And we grieve over our sin. And we grieve over our sin. And we grieve and we grieve and we carry it with us from one day to the next. Oh Lord, I just, oh man, I wish I could take it back, Father, when I lost my virginity in high school way back then. And God's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I actually erased that from history. It didn't happen. Oh, but Lord, I know it happened I was there and the Lord's like I'm there right now because I inhabit eternity and it didn't happen because God's perfectly just gosh this is not in my notes but somebody needs to hear it God is perfectly just and he's the only one that has access to the past that is in your past he's the only one that can go back and erase your sin from history
so that right now, at this moment, you can stand before God completely clean completely pure. Why do you think Hebrews chapter 4 says we come boldly before the throne of grace? Why can I come boldly before God's throne? Because I'm clean from my head to my toes and everything in between. Glory to God. God loves to fix hopeless situations and remove even a trace of anything that looked hopeless I gotta keep going for just a second on this. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you remember remember what happened to those dudes? They got thrown into a fiery furnace. And they were thrown into the furnace with bondages, with bonds on them. Leather cords, most likely, that they were wrapped with. Thrown into a fire. And the Bible says that they, that the, uh, the Babylonians heated the fire and they got it seven times hotter than it normally was. It was so stinking hot that when they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, the guys throwing him into the furnace died from heat exposure. Yeah. Claire goes, oh, <laughs> it's true. It happened. Whoa. It was so hot that the dudes tossing them in got burned up. And the Bible says something happened when they went into that situation. Their bondages were completely incinerated and they saw a fourth person in the fire. And, and Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire and they, he said, who is that? There's a, I, weren't there three guys that we threw in there? But I see a fourth person in there and he looks like the son of God. He had a countenance like the son of God. And the Bible says, this is the most amazing thing to me. The Bible says that when they took them out of the fiery furnace, they didn't smell like smoke. Why is that so important? Because they went in with bondages that burned. The thing that they went in with that was holding them back, they came out without it and they didn't even smell like it. You, yeah, you used to be addicted to drugs. Yeah, you used to be addicted to pornography. Yeah, you used to have a temper. Yeah, you used to have this and that and the other that was a bondage. But when you came in contact with Jesus, the bondage got removed, and now you don't even smell like the smoke. Have you ever burned leather? Stinks. Smells nasty. When your sin came off of you, the residue of that sin is gone forever, and you don't even smell like it anymore. God loves to take hopeless situations and turn them around so much so to such a degree that you don't even resemble the hopelessness that you used to embody. You used to be the most hopeless, full of despair guy on the block, and now people look at you and they're like, I can't even, I don't even know who I'm looking at anymore. This guy, this girl, this woman, this man, they're so overwhelmingly filled with hope. I don't even know who I'm looking at anymore. You don't resemble your past, not even a little bit, because the same spirit that lives in you is the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and he cleanses you completely and to the uttermost. Don't live with the weight of yesterday. Glory to God. Man. That's good preaching. Thank you, sir. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. Thank you, Brother Josh. So 
So let's go back to Abraham for just a second and we'll close. I got seven minutes and 19 seconds left. (laughs) The cards are stacked against Abraham, Romans chapter four. On one side, you have God's promises. On the other side, you have the obstacles. You have the reasons not to hope. Remember, we said that nobody can tell you not to hope. Nobody can can keep you from hoping. All they can do is present obstacles. So on one side, you got the obstacles and the reasons not to hope. We could say it this way. uh, The facts were telling a different story than the promises of God. How many of you had a situation in your life where the facts are telling a different story than the promises of God? Here's something to remember when that's the case. Facts are facts and truth is truth. And truth will change the facts. God's word is truth. And the facts are, they may be the facts. They may look like facts. They may be undeniable. But the word of God is truth and truth will always change fact. Amen. So Romans chapter 4 verse 18 through 20. They'll put it up on the screen so I don't have to turn in my Bible. That's really kind of you guys. Thank you. Speaking of Abraham, says here, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and neither did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, and he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now I'm going to do this real fast. I've got to go through this quickly. Abraham's willingness to expect God's best meant that his faith stayed strong in the in-between. Look at verse 19 again. It says, not being weak in faith. Remember what Proverbs told us about our faith being weak when we defer hope? When I defer hope, my faith is not weak. So, or excuse me, when I defer hope, my faith is weak. So this scripture says that Abraham was not weak in faith. This tells us that, faith, that, that Abraham, not only did he have faith working for him, he had hope working for him too. Abraham's willingness to hope, his willingness to expect God's best, meant that his faith stayed strong in the in-between. In between when God said it and when he saw it come to pass. Contrary to hope, look at verse 18 again. Contrary to hope, in hope, Abraham believed. What does that mean? It means going against what, what he would have normally expected in a situation. Abraham chose to have hope. Contrary to hope. In other words, Abraham had no natural reason to have any hope. And contrary to that, he hoped in God. His hope went out in front of him and pushed against the obstacles that were standing in front of him. This is where I get to use my football analogy. Are you ready for my football analogy? Abraham's hope was like the blocker that went out ahead of the running back. Without, faith, without hope, your faith gets stopped at the line of scrimmage. You get sacked yeah. without hope. 
Hope is like this blocker. It's like the fullback that the running back's behind him with the ball, and he goes out and he blocks and he clears away. That's what your hope does for your faith. Your expectation that God is going to do what he says that he's going to do. Your hope goes out ahead of your faith. Abraham's hope gave his faith some room to run with the ball. By the way, the ball is like the promise that God made to Abraham. His faith grabbed a hold of the promise and began to run with it. And his hope was out in front of him, clearing a path. His expectation was out. Abraham, I believe, from the moment God spoke to him, was on the edge of his seat expecting this family to start happening. His, his, his hope was like the fullback, man. He was running out, clearing a path so that his faith had some room to take the promise of God and run with it. By the way, when they got to the touchdown, Isaac was born. When they got to the end zone was when Isaac was born. You see, that's how it works. God gives you a promise, but he never gives you the promise at the goal line. He gives you the promise way back here. And he expects you to use your hope and use your faith working together to to actually get you to the place where the promise that he made you can be fulfilled and you can do a touchdown dance. Hallelujah. That's how it works. Your faith is like a fullback, or excuse me, your hope is like a fullback out there charging and blocking, giving your faith some room to run with the promise. See, we're, all we ever do is ask, God, why didn't I get to the end zone? The Lord's like, well, you dropped the ball. Maybe, you, maybe your faith fumbled the promise. Maybe the enemy came and stole the promise away. Maybe there was a turnover. Maybe the, maybe the Bible said, like, like what the Bible says when Jesus said the, the birds of the air come and steal away the seed of God's word. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe you had the promise for a moment, but you fumbled it. Then you've got to work on your faith. Or maybe your faith is strong and your ability to believe God is strong and you're holding dearly onto that promise, but your hope's not out there doing its job, blocking, so you keep getting hit at the line and you can't make any progress. What do you need to do? Put your hope in him. Hold on to the rope of hope. Let him pull you to the end zone. Because I promise you, there's an Isaac waiting for you. There's a, there's a fulfillment of a promise waiting for you. There's an end zone that if you'll stay with the promise, if you'll just, having, having done all to stand, if you'll just keep standing, you'll get there. You'll get there eventually. Might happen one yard at a time, but you'll get there. I'm going to close in this last few seconds with this. The Bible says, contrary to hope, in hope he believed so that he became. In hope he believed so that he became the father of many nations. Expect, believe, become. Thank you. Expect, believe, become. That is hope, faith, and the promise coming to pass in your life. This is how you beat despair. You remember the topic today? I know I got a little bit off on some side rabbit trails this morning, but it's good anyway. Today we're talking about defeating despair. 
how do I do it, Pastor? You expect, you believe, and you become. Expect, believe, become. Put it on your fridge. Put it, I mean, put it somewhere. Put it in your car on a sticky note so that you can always see it, so that you can remember it. Expect, believe, become. Expect, believe, become. Expect, believe, become. If I will expect that what God said is true and I will start to believe in that, expecting it to come to pass, I will become everything that he said that I should be. His promise will come to pass in my life. I will get to the end zone if I will keep expecting and keep believing and keep expecting and keep believing. Now next week we're going to dive further into this relationship between hope and faith. And I'm going to tell you, you don't want to miss it. There's a lot more for us to say about how faith and hope work together. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet as we conclude today. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.